0: During his training, Luke enters a... I'm sorry. There's a typo in my summary. (laughs) I just saw that. Make me laugh out loud. In my summary, it says Luke enters a cake filled with the dark side of the force. Had had an auto Oh,
1: man. I want to see that movie now. (laughs) All
0: right. Here you go, Andrew. Edit point.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Todd Mack. And I'm Joe Dorowski. And this week we're talking about Lando Calrissian from The Empire Strikes Back. And to help us out, we're joined by special guest Alan Voivod from the Star Wars 7 by 7 Podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, we're, we're very glad to have you on here. I really enjoy the uh, Star Wars 7 by 7 Podcast, but could you... Explain uh, the conceit behind your 7x7 podcast for any listeners who are unfamiliar with it.
2: All right. Well, it is Rebel Rousing Fun for Everyday Jedi. Seven minutes a day, seven days a week. So yes, indeed, it is a daily podcast for Star Wars fans just trying to deliver a daily dose of Star Wars joy. Mostly we cover news going on in the Star Wars galaxy, but essentially what I've set out to do in its own way is almost to cover the entire new canon, and that wasn't necessarily how I initially set out to do things, but it sort of happened that I had the opportunity, once the Expanded Universe was made Legends and everything was rebooted, to be able to say, wow, now I have the opportunity to sort of hold the whole story of Star Wars in my head again, and to explore it and dive into it in a way that I never really had the time or the opportunity to back when the Expanded Universe first started, so... Now I get to do that and I get to do it through the podcast and I get to share it with listeners from more than 130 countries and it's been a fantastic time. How long have you been doing it? Since July 7th, 2014. So 7714. 7s play a big role in the uh numerology <laughs> of the podcast as you might be able to tell. And uh, how awesome. many episodes
0: do you have out right now?
2: Um, Well, we're recording this on Thursday evening, March 9th, and today episode 979 came out. So we will be at episode 1000 on March 30th of 2017.
0: What I really like about your podcast is that it's so brief that I can just get a snippet, and particularly of any breaking news of Star Wars. I'm just going to hear about it in the morning. You'll give us a quick rundown of what's happened and it's less than 10 minutes and you know I'm up to date on what's happened in Star Wars and if there's not a whole lot of news like you said you you go back and you talk about plots from uh like uh the Clone Wars series or, or or things like that you can dig back but uh whenever it seems like a film is is coming out to be released you're able to just focus on uh breaking news on you know whatever's being released uh about the upcoming films so it always keeps me informed but it doesn't take too much of my time so it's really great
2: thank you and yeah that sort of became The genesis of the podcast in its own way, because I was listening to, oddly enough, the gentleman that you had for the last Star Wars conversation, you had Alex Robinson from Star Wars Minute. Um, I'd listened to his podcast, and um, that was with my children while we were driving to and from school. And it was one of the very few podcasts out there that was something you could consume in a short commute. There wasn't a lot of that. Most Star Wars podcasts, as I'm sure you're aware, are an hour or two hours long. And they only (laughs) come out maybe once a week or so. And that's a long time to wait (laughs) for a dose of Star Wars. And then if you don't have long commutes, then it's really kind of hard to grab them in 10 and 15 minute stretches. And I thought, you know what, there's got to be... a a market for people who want something in a shorter dose. And it also gives me the opportunity to be first or nearly first with some of the breaking news stuff too, which is really awesome.
0: Yeah, uh, though I do also have to just give a tip of the cap because I'm a little bit familiar with what some people go through when they're producing a five times a week podcast. Uh, The movie by minute podcasts are often five times a week, and I've been a guest on a few of those and seen what the recordings are like. And our producer, Andrew, does a Disney Animation Minute Essentials, which right now is doing Snow White uh, and the Seven Dwarfs, you know, five days a week doing one minute of the film at a time. And it's just, it seems it would be grueling to be the producer behind uh, that kind of a podcast. And you went even a step farther and gave it every single day of the week. Yeah, through and Saturday
2: and Sunday, just for good measure. And it's just me, actually, so I do not have the luxury of a producer or a co-host that I can shovel <laughs> off some of the duties to. It is a one-stop shop here.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, congratulations on getting over 900 episodes out uh, by yourself. That's very impressive.
1: Thank you. Okay, uh, so tonight we're talking about The Empire Strikes Back. It's the second or fifth or sixth Uh, Star Wars movie. Uh, It was released in 1980, uh, which is the year before I was born. Um, Oh, my. This is is the second chapter of the original trilogy. It was directed by Irvin Kirshner and uh, was written by Lee Brackett and Lawrence Kasdan, with George Lucas having a story credit. The heroes from Star Wars were being hunted down by the Empire, and it does not go particularly well for them. We meet new characters, including Lando. Uh, played by Billy Dee Williams and Yoda before the story ends with our heroes regrouping after suffering losses. So uh, when was the first time that you, gentlemen, saw The Empire Strikes Back?
0: Uh, I guess I can go first and say I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because this uh, came out, uh, when was it? We said 1980. I was born in 82. uh, And it was just kind of part of my childhood that we had. Eventually, once we had VCRs, a VHS copy of this was, was in the house. Um, I do remember that this was probably, when I was a kid, the episode I watched the least of Star Wars, probably because uh, this, the cave scene, when he fights Darth Vader, really freaked me out, when he chopped off Darth Vader's head, <laughs> and, was the head off. and when I was a kid, I really liked the Ewoks, I, I and mean, I still really love the Ewoks, I'm not just relegating that to my childhood, uh, but I, and so I watched Return of the Jedi a lot, and I also liked uh, the blowing up of the Death Star in A New Hope, so I watched that one a lot, and this was probably the one in the least, uh, or, or, or I, I saw the fewest times as a kid. Uh, But I certainly uh, now appreciate, uh, you know, the artistry and the filmmaking behind it quite a bit more than I did as a child.
2: It is definitely more of the adult movie, I would say, comparatively, out of all of them. And, you know, I don't remember seeing it in the theater either, though I'm told that I did see it in the theater. But um, I have no excuse like you guys did, because I was born in 1970, so I would have been (laughs) nine years old at the time that it came out. And Yeah, 9, yeah, because I didn't turn 10 until later that year. So um, And yeah, I really have no m- memory of it from the theater, but I do have a memory of having it on VHS but bootlegged. Like somebody who had a VCR that recorded it off of HBO or something like that. So it was a really warped copy, and I don't even know if it was a, uh, a legal stream of HBO or if somebody had hacked their cable <laughs> box or something like that to get it. And I, I mean, I had a VCR that had a wired remote control for the VCR. That'll tell you how long ago that was. But at least wow. it was a remote
0: control, right? You didn't have to stand up and go over.
2: No, I didn't have to stand up and go over. So I guess there was that, but you actually had a long cord that was like about six feet long and it wasn't quite long enough to reach the couch. So you'd have to sit on the edge of the couch and kind of stretch your arm out a little bit. It was
0: a nice trip hazard, I'm sure.
2: And I wore that sucker out, but I think like a lot of people, and I think Alex, when he was on talking about Princess Leia on your episode about Star Wars, a lot of my experience of Star Wars when I was younger came through playing with the toys. And that, I think, is where it ultimately ended up getting reinforced for me over time. Mm
0: -hmm. What about you, Todd?
1: I cannot remember when I saw The Empire Strikes Back for the first time. Uh, My story is really similar to yours, Joe. We had... We had on VHS uh, Empire uh, Return of the Jedi, and I watched the heck out of that. I, l- I love that movie so much, uh, and it still just brings me so so much joy. Um, and Empire was always uh, like darker, a little bit scarier. Although, and I was I was afraid of the same thing. It just Dagobah just freaks me out. Uh, but tonight I watched it with my four year old son, and he laughed his head off when when Luke was in the cave. He thought that was the funniest <laughs> thing. I thought that was the funniest thing he had ever seen. See,
0: I was watching it with my kids too. And I asked my four year old and it's probably not the first time he's seen this. I know it's not, but I, uh, during the cave scene, I asked him like, do you know what just happened? And he just goes, Luke had a dream. <laughs> was, like he understood it better than I did as a kid. I think.
1: Wow. I'm They're- like, this is, this part's pretty <laughs> scary. This part's pretty scary. Do you want to cover up your head? And he's like, no, I want to watch it. And then he's like, look, dad, there's a monster. When the iguana comes out of the little hole, uh, look, dad, there's a monster. And I'm like, hey, it's getting pretty scary. And he's like, no, I'm okay. And then, and then Darth Vader comes around. And he goes, look, Dad, there's Darth Vader. And I go, okay, it's going to get scary. And then he, he whacks off Darth Vader's head, and he just busted out laughing. He thought that was hilarious. Uh, man, different
2: times. That is a better experience than I had and I tried to wait I tried to wait as long as I could but I think my my older son was two and a half when I first showed him Star Wars. <laughs> And when uh, right away, right from the get-go, when Vader grabs Captain Antilles and by the neck and starts lifting him up off the ground, like I look over at my two and a half-year-old son, and he has his hand around his own neck, and I'm like, "Oh no, oh no, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I've botched it. I've botched it early. I couldn't, I couldn't hang." Uh, <laughs> but
1: thankfully, he's much better about it now. We, so went, I made we it. went to this. We went to this party a couple of years ago. And there was a guy dressed up as Darth Vader there. And the kids were kind of freaked out. And we told them, like, look, he's nice. It's Darth Vader. He's he's so nice. And they, like, you know, became okay with that. And then and then tonight we were watching it, and Ian said, Dad, I really like Darth Vader. And I said, why? And he said, he's a good guy. And I said, well, not really. And he goes, no, Dad, I met him. He's nice. <laughs> I was like, okay. So...
0: I made it with my oldest child, my my daughter, uh, until she was five, I think, uh, in seeing this. And so she got the surprise moment of Luke, or no, I am your father. Uh, But with my boys that are younger than her, I'm just like, nope, not going to happen. They're just, it's always going to be part of their life. (laughs) I'm not going to be able to hold them (laughs) off from the surprise. (laughs) Yeah. Alright, well, uh, today's uh, podcast listeners is brought to you by Audible.com, and you can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash protagonist, where over 180,000 titles await you to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or, if you're going old school, your MP3 player. Uh, Before we get into the full synopsis of the film, I have a little bit of trivia, and Alan, if you have any additional trivia you want to throw in, you are welcome to do so. Uh, First, uh, the timeline. This film is set three years after Episode Four, A New Hope. It initially had kind of a mixed critical reaction, but has since become the most critically acclaimed Star Wars movie, with a 94% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, In 2010, the film was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry, which is supposed to preserve our greatest films made in America.
1: Only this one, not the other two.
0: Uh, I'm not sure if the others have been selected. I just know this one was in 2010. and ten. And. I have this in the trivia and I'm not sure how to deal with it. Cause I've heard about a, a hundred different var- variations of the story, but there's this urban legend about Mark Hamill. I mean, the, well, this part's true that he had a motorcycle accident uh, before filming and uh, it was a pretty bad uh, motorcycle accident. And he had some scarring and there were some concerns that his face was going to look different uh, from a new hope to this one. And so there's the urban legend is that the wampa scene where the wampa, the, the paw of this ice creature smacks Luke in the face was added to Um, explain why his face might look a little bit different. And I've heard this both confirmed and debunked so many times, I don't know what the truth (laughs) is anymore.
2: Alan, do you you know about this? I've heard that story, and I honestly don't know whether it's real or not anymore.
0: And I even see sources that say uh, Mark Hamill confirmed it, and other sources saying Mark Hamill denied it, you know, in this interview. Ah, So I don't know. (laughs) But it's worth mentioning. (laughs) It
1: would be funny to be Mark Hamill and just (laughs) wake up in the morning like, today... I'm going to debunk it, <laughs> and yeah. then wake up a month later and say, "Now I'm going to confirm that story," which is kind, kind of know like that nerds a, like us will go crazy. It's exactly the kind of thing he would do because he does like to troll the
2: fans in a nice way. He's a he's a good troll in that way.
0: Yeah, and he, he's famous for like signing uh, the the old top Star Wars cards. Um, like signing funny messages whenever he signs one for fans to autograph them he'll he'll include some joke about what the you know the image on the card. like uh, <laughs> I saw one online where it was uh, the scene was uh, his his homestead burning, you know when he when he runs up and the homestead's burning and he, and <laughs> he had written like, I knew I left the burner on <laughs> <laughs>
1: Wow.
0: Uh, all right, uh some more trivia Lee Brackett uh we said is credited uh on the script uh She died of cancer after finishing the first draft of the script, and reportedly uh Lucas uh, wasn't quite happy with where it ha- was at, so he touched it up uh, uh, and did a couple more drafts and then Lawrence Kazdan uh did the final passes on the script and uh this is notable because there's you often hear debates about like how much of this massive sprawling mythology did George Lucas have planned. And it is after the Lee Brackett script, which she had done, Lucas had broke the story down with her. It is after that, that uh, the revelation that Vader's Luke's father gets added. Um, in the Lee Brackett script, you actually have Luke's father appears a force ghost to him. So it does seem like, even though there's some hints in A New Hope that can be interpreted as Lucas knowing that Darth Vader is going to be Luke's father, such as, you know, Vader meaning father in Dutch, uh, and the line where he says, uh, Uncle Owen says that Luke has too much of his father in him, uh, and so on. Uh, it, it does seem like that particular twist was added after A New Hope was fully filmed and kind of late into the um, writing of Empire Strikes Back. Uh, this was just kind of interesting about how... Uh, Wait, of, can I sub- stop you for a second? Yeah. Go ahead. So are you
1: saying that uh that the fact that he's called Darth Vader and the fact that Uncle Owen says that Luke has too much of his father in him are just wild coincidences? Seems that it is a happy accident. Yeah. Wow. I mean well only because I'm not saying that particularly
0: because in the first draft of Empire Strikes Back, Luke's father appears as a force ghost, which is pretty clearly <laughs> meaning he's not Darth Vader. Meaning meaning he didn't tell the script writer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wow. Yeah.
2: yeah. It is It is a bit of a happy accident. And even Larry Kasdan, um, him coming to the project, he'd actually been brought on to write the script for Raiders of the Lost Ark. And with all the stuff that was going on with Leigh Brackett, George Lucas said to him, Hey, I've got this thing going on. I, you know, I could use some help with it. And George hadn't even read the script for Raiders yet. So Kasdan, said, telling the story, says... Hey, you know, that's really awesome. I'm interested, but you haven't even read Raiders yet. You know, don't you want to read that? And he said, I'll read it tonight. And if I might, if I change my mind, then I'll tell you tomorrow. But <laughs> you know, so that's essentially, in a nutshell, how Kazden got brought on to the whole
0: thing. Well, and wow. even, I mean, a lot of people say uh, that this one being so good and, and people having issues with the prequels say that uh, George Lucas is really good at like story beats and ideas, but sometimes the execution, it's good for him to have more collaborators. And it seems like he had more collaborators on this one than. He had had in A New Hope uh, because he was taking on so many business roles with Industrial Lights of Magic and uh, some other producer uh, uh, productions that he was a producer on. And he kind of said, I can't I can't do everything like I did for A New Hope. Right. Uh, uh, just jumping into a little more trivia uh, on De- the Dagobah sets. They were built with a five foot space uh, between the floor and the place where Mark Hamill was walking around so that Frank Oz could puppeteer Yoda um, <laughs> from down but um, when he was down underneath, he couldn't really hear Mark Hamill <laughs> delivering his lines. So sometimes it was just kind of a guess, best guess of when Yoda should start talking. And apparently, it did not always line up very well. <laughs> and um, I don't really think about this. But uh, similarly, Mark Hamill has said that it was really kind of hard for him to be the only human on set for a couple months of filming the Dagobah scenes. He didn't have another human to interact with. And once you think about it, you're like, oh, right. Um, but Yoda feels so fully formed. um, that you can kind of forget that it was just a hand that Mark Hamill was, was interacting with. (laughs) Um, let's see real quick. I uh, love, I
1: love puppet Yoda.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, Frank Oz is wonderful as Yoda. Um, the Hoff scenes were filmed in Norway and it was reportedly a much tougher shoot than anticipated because there was a lot worse weather than had been <laughs> predicted, which I guess works for Hoff and the final visuals of Hoff, but it made it a really rough shoot, uh, particularly for Mark Hamill having to walk around out in the snow. Um, in 2014, Empire Magazine made a list of the 301 greatest films of all time as voted on by fans and Empire Strikes Back was number one on that list. Oh, wow. and That's the amazing. last bit of trivia when Leia says, I love you, and Han says, I know, the script actually says, I love you too. That was an improv, uh, improv by Harrison Ford on set. When he says, I know, instead of, I love you too. I mean, I think that was coordinated a little bit with Kazdan. Yes, that Kazdan agreed with, like, like, like uh... Um, like, Han's and, like, this doesn't seem like a... Or, or, I guess, Harrison Ford said, this doesn't seem like a Han Solo moment. He's like, what, what do you think? And Kazdan <laughs> said, you know, say what you're feeling. <laughs> and so he went, I know. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I'll throw a couple other trivia bits at you as well, since um Empire for me, like I it is my favorite, but it's not because it's a dark one or anything like that. I just I love the Hoth scenes. I absolutely love them to death, which is bizarre when you consider that I grew up in Southern California, which <laughs> you know essentially a desert and was in the midst of horrible smog alerts when I was growing <laughs> up and so You know, you'd be playing outside in the summertime, and if you were out for too long, by the time you got back inside, it was like half your lungs had been cut off. You'd take half a breath, and you'd start coughing. It was that bad. And... The Hoth stuff was just absolutely fascinating to me. When they were filming some of the Hoth scenes, they actually had some of their um, scenes set up inside the hotel, like where they actually had the door open, (laughs) and they were filming out through the doors of the hotel, and the actors were out in the snow while the rest of the crew was inside (laughs) semi-warm, because, of course, the wind is blowing inside. And um, in Leigh Brackett's first draft, Lando actually lived on Hoth, of all places. What? Well, yeah.
0: the, the name of the planet, not that he was on an ice planet. It was still a Cloud City, right?
2: Um, now, that I'm not sure about. I'm getting this from Wikipedia, so um, the details okay. of it, I'm not positive. But... I
0: think I had heard that they switched up the name of Hoth from uh, the, the planet that's now Bespin and has Cloud City was called Hoth in the first draft, and they just borrowed the name and moved it over.
2: Got it. Okay, well, that would make, that would make more sense.
0: I think uh, what you said about them filming from, like, the doors of the hotel reminded me of a fact from the Star Wars Minute podcast. They said uh, the scene when Luke falls in the snow mm-hmm. was they were filming from the hotel. And they just said, yeah, just, like, go walk. We'll film you the whole way. <laughs> and, he, and he just kept walking. And then he fell down and they filmed it. And and then he got up and he walked back to the hotel. And that was...
1: He looks so that was cold. stuff. <laughs> It looks
2: so miserable. It does. He really sells it well. I think Mark Hamill is probably one of the most underappreciated actors of our time. I mean, when you're talking earlier about him being the only human on set having to talk with Yoda, and all of those conversations are so well done. I mean, you don't feel the acting. It all feels legitimate. You feel Yoda as an actual character, and you have to have somebody... Playing off of that puppet and believing in that puppet in a meaningful way for that scene to work, and especially when you hear about how difficult it was, you know, to hear, you know, to hear the dialogue and for Frank Oz being under the stage and everything, for Mark Hamill to pull off the feat he did, it's just absolutely incredible.
1: Yeah, he's good.
0: Absolutely he's, agree. He's very good. Yeah. Uh, For any listeners who are unfamiliar, that's our producer Andrew popping in periodically Uh, (laughs) on the side. I think I forgot to say that uh, the first time he popped in. Uh, I 100% agree, uh, Alan, about the Hoth sequence. It's one of my very favorite sequences in all of Star Wars. And with uh, my younger uh, son, he gets limited screen time, so we don't usually let him watch the entire movie at a time. But he will often ask to watch AT-AT Star Wars, which is what he (laughs) he calls the Hoth sequence of this. He doesn't call them ad he calls them AT-ATs. <laughs> we'll get into that debate, I'm, I'm sure, in my in my
1: long summary. Uh, I'm just teaching my kids that they're called Imperial Walkers and avoid the whole... That's a good system, the whole too. Disc, yeah. <laughs> avoid the whole debate. All right, are we ready for this long synopsis? I believe so. Go for
0: it. All right, All right. so uh, here we go, listeners. On the run from the Empire, the Rebels have holed up on the ice planet Hoth, the Empire, is sending probe droids all over the galaxy looking for their base. On Hoth, Luke Skywalker is attacked by Yeti, I mean a Wampa, and he's dragged into an ice cave. Hearing that Luke has not checked in, Han Solo goes back out to look for him. After he awakens, Luke summons his lightsaber to him with the Force and escapes out into the harsh Hoth night. after um, disarming the Wampa.
1: Can I ask As a you- question about this? Yeah. Why doesn't he just kill the thing and stay in the cave?
0: Uh, because then you wouldn't get the cool shot of a Tauntaun being sliced open and you Luke being shoved into it. Also, we don't know how many wampas there might be Yeah, there. The, or were there a family of wampas? Um, that, I mean, it's possible that's a leftover from earlier drafts where wampas played a bigger part in some later scenes. Yeah, I think in an early draft there were Wampas like uh, in the Rebel base uh, in those ice tunnels. Those were Wampa homes <laughs> that the Rebels had okay. kind of taken over. And, exactly. And, and there's a there was C- a, th- a sequence with a with a gag from C three PO. Yeah, Where he takes <laughs> a warning sign off of a off of a door, and Stormtroopers open it, and a Wampa arm pulls one yeah, was in. That, <laughs> I've, I've seen that. Is that from actual footage from Empire Strikes Back, or is that just someone doing a gag later? I think that's footage. <laughs> Deleted oh,
2: material. No. It was in a trailer. Oh really? Yeah.
0: All right. Um, Okay, so Luke runs out of the Wampa Cave, and uh, as he is passing out, the Force Ghost of Obi-Wan Kenobi shows up and instructs Luke that he needs to go to Dagobah to study under Master Yoda. Um, It's not really a huge thing, but I just want to point out that Obi-Wan Kenobi's Force Ghost has horrible timing. This is probably not the best moment to deliver (laughs) a hugely important bit of information to a man. Um,
1: <laughs> is there a reason, like is it is it does it maybe have to do with Luke's state that he's in? That I mean, is there any reason why Obi wan goes to him then?
2: Well, I guess you could make the case that
1: because
2: Luke is about to you know collapse in the snow, that he might need a reason perhaps to go on. You know that his, mm-hmm. his okay hope is failing him, but perhaps. You know, if he's given some other task, some other reason to live, something to look forward to, that maybe it will inspire, you know, some last bit of effort somehow.
0: Also, I think within the narrative, you could say um, this is the first time we're seeing a forced ghost in A New Hope. We heard Obi-Wan's voice. So maybe we're supposed to be, as an audience, questioning, like, is Luke delirious or is this really happening right now? Okay. So just yeah. a little bit of, like, mystery for the audience. That too. Alright, so, uh, Han solo does find Luke and Han is writing on a Tauntaun called a snow lizard in the scripts and Han cuts open his dying tauntaun and stuffs Luke into its innards to keep Luke warm while Han builds a shelter. In the morning, they are rescued. Uh, Later on, Han and Chewbacca discover a probe droid. They destroy it, but they're sure it has alerted the Empire to the location of their base. The Empire does, in fact, arrive and in one of the best battle sequences, the Empire attacks the Rebel base with AT-ATs. The Rebels flee with Han, Leia, Chewbacca and C-3PO on a damaged Millennium Falcon and Luke is in an X-Wing with R2-D to. Luke is going to head off to Dagobah because of that force vision, uh, but because the Millennium Falcon is damaged, they can't jump to light speed with the other Rebel ships, so they hide in an asteroid field as the Empire hunts for them. Luke crashes onto the swamp planet Dagobah, um, and I think I, I realized it more as I was writing this summary, but he got blindsided by a Wampa really badly, uh, almost died in uh, the ice uh, of Hoth, and now he's just crashed his X-Wing, and this is, like, the first act of the film. Luke is not looking like the traditional hero <laughs> so far in this film. It's it's a rough go. Um, hopefully, and it's things, rough
1: for the rest of the film.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, hopefully things get better by the end of the film, but probably not. Yeah, probably, probably not.
2: <laughs> and R2-D2 is pretty, like, just game for it. He's like, yeah, okay, whatever, like, let's just go to whatever planet you're, you want to go to. I've never heard of this thing. Why are we going here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't <laughs> care. we still on
0: for the ride. Yep. On Dagobah, Luke meets a tiny green alien uh, who he's rude to because he's had a rough day. Eventually, he learns that this alien is actually the Yoda uh, whom he is seeking, and he asks Yoda to teach him. Yoda reluctantly agrees, and despite Luke's whining, demonstrates the power of the Force multiple times, and he drops ah. many quotable bits of wisdom on Luke. During his training, Luke enters a cave filled with the dark side of the Force and he fights a dreamlike slow mo version of Darth Vader. When Luke cuts off Darth Vader's head, its mask pops off and Luke sees his own face within the helmet.
1: And my four year old son bursts out laughing. <laughs>
0: Uh Cutting back to the Imperials, Vader has hired Bounty Hunters, an awesome group of Bounty Hunters, to go look for the Millennium Falcon Uh after escaping one... Uh, You're not going to list all of the Bounty Hunters? I had no, no time in this episode. <laughs> not to focus. We could do a whole episode on the Bounty Hunters. Um So after the Millennium Falcon escapes one giant space worm and an entire Imperial fleet, Han Solo flies to the planet Bespin, where he hopes his old friend Lando Calrissian will help him. But everyone's favorite bounty hunter, Boba Fett, is too smart for them, and he manages to track them to Bespin. Lando pretends to be upset with Han, then welcomes him onto Cloud City. He and Han clearly have a past, but it's not really revealed. C-3PO gets separated from the others, and he gets shot and blown up real good. Though we don't see by whom. While uh, we cut back to Dagobah, and Luke has a vision of Han and Leia in pain in a city in the clouds, and against Yoda's wishes and Ghost Obi-Wan's recommendations, Luke leaves his training to go and help them. Go back to Cloud City, Chewbacca finds C-3PO's broken parts, Lando asks Han and Leia and Chewbacca to go have some refreshments with him. As they enter the room where the refreshments are to be served, Darth Vader is sitting at the head of a banquet table. Awesome power move, Darth Vader. <laughs> Just be sitting there. Uh, and, uh, Lando says, uh, to Han and Leia, who obviously feel very betrayed, that he had no choice. The Imperials arrived just before they did. Vader promises Boba Fett that he can have Han Solo once Vader has Skywalker. This upsets Lando, but Vader says Leia and Chewbacca may stay on Cloud City with Lando. Vader plans to freeze Luke Skywalker in carbonite. Not really sure why, just because it's awesome, I think. Um, but he wants to <laughs> test the process on Han Solo first. As Han is lowered into the carbon freezing chamber, Leia tells him, I love you. And Han says, I know. Han <laughs> survives the process and is now in frozen hibernation in this, like, giant block of black ice. Uh, Skywalker lands on Cloud City just as Vader asks Calrissian to take Leia and Chewbacca to Vader's ship. Lando protests that this was not the deal he agreed to, agreed to and Vader says I am altering the deal. Pray that I do not alter it any further. Skywalker skulks around Cloud City and eventually meets up with Vader in the carbon freezing chamber. We see Lando send a secret message to his helper named Lobot. I love Lobot by the way. Uh-
1: <laughs> I love Lando's I, uh, his Apple Watch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sweet Apple Watch that communicates with Lobot. Yeah,
0: L- a little bulkier than the current model that we have. Barely. At. <laughs> um, and Lando, so he sends the secret message to Lobot as Lando, Chewie, and Leia are being led by stormtroopers to Vader's ship. Um, Luke and Vader have a sweet lightsaber fight, uh, but then Cloud City guards set Lando and his friends free. Uh, though Chewie and Leia don't quite trust Lando yet. Chewie grabs Lando around the throat and is choking him <laughs> to death, and Lando is able to squeak out that there's still a chance to save Han. And or Han. Or Han. Uh, I can't remember which pronunciation we get at this moment. I think he says Han I in think this one, Han. which always okay. threw me off. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Uh, there's... Uh, the pronunciation I uh, of Star Wars names gets so wonky. Um, Chewie stops choking him, and they all run to try and stop Boba Fett from taking the frozen Han Solo to Jabba the Hutt. Uh, and this is like the last moment of the film where you're like, oh yeah, the good guys, we're, we're going to save the day. They're, they still got a chance. (laughs) Uh, but then they're too late. And now you have to start questioning if this movie is going to have a happy ending. We go back to the lightsaber fight and Luke falls into the carbon freezing chamber, but he leaps out before it's activated. Soon the fight tips in Vader's direction. However, Vader force throws objects at Luke and Luke is comically bad at blocking them with his (laughs) lightsaber. (laughs) Just swinging wildly and way late. Uh, Lando, though, announces over the loudspeakers that the Empire has taken over the city, and he orders his people to evacuate. Famously, one citizen of Cloud City grabs an ice cream maker during his mad escape from the Imperial. <laughs> Are
1: you serious? Yeah. yeah <laughs> the exact totally model of the
0: ice cream maker is uh, yeah. well known. You can find documented. it online. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they just wanted something looking sci-fi-y for people to be carrying around. It's own grabbed an ice cream, <laughs> cream maker. Wow. There's
2: often a whole parade of folks dressed up like that in cosplay at Celebration. So.
0: <laughs> carrying <laughs> the wow. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so Leia, Chewie, and Lando reconnect with R2-D2, and they get to the Millennium Falcon, and they're able to get it running again. Uh, Luke's fight is still going poorly. He gets his hand cut off. He accuses Vader of killing his father, and Vader says, no, I am your father. Vader asks Luke to join him, but instead Luke chooses to fall down a very long shaft that drops him off the bottom of Cloud City, where he hangs off of some sort of weather vane thing, antenna kind of of object. Luke calls out to Leia with the Force, and she turns the Millennium Falcon around and rescues him. The film ends with Lando wearing Han's clothes and flying the Millennium Falcon off to prepare to rescue Han. Uh, As Luke, with a new robotic hand freshly attached, promises to meet him at the rendezvous point on... And and Luke says, Tatooine, instead of (laughs) Tatooine. Just another odd pronunciation. And then we roll the credits. Well done. Well done. done. Thank you. (laughs) Well
1: done. Uh, I have a question. Uh, When Luke tosses himself off that huge balcony into the pit uh do you think he knows that he's not gonna die
0: it sure is lucky that he doesn't <laughs> i mean he hits a very narrow shaft after a fall that would have killed him right <laughs> to to a a very luxurious slope that yes, saves his is fall a
1: spect- spectacular pit
0: i mean you can always say the beauty of star wars that the force guide the force. his fall. sure <laughs> naturally yes but isn't even... Force is
1: telling him just jump you'll be okay? Or do you think he's he's thinking I would rather die than join my father? In a little the dark bit of both? Side. A little bit of
0: both? What do you think, Alan?
1: I vote for a
0: straight up
2: suicide. I yeah? think taking himself out of the action entirely.
0: I mean, I, I, when I say the Force helps him, it's, it's not even that the Force guides him to the shaft. The Force also opens the shaft doors right as he's about to connect with them. If those doors had been a half second slower, he, he would have splatted.
1: If that is the case, and it's just straight-up suicide, imagine his surprise when he reaches <laughs> the bottom of that thing, and he just gets sort of sucked into that tube, and he has this just graceful, like, slow uh, deceleration. Like, wow, <laughs> that's just uh, amazing. It's amazing. Mm-hmm.
0: That, that's the moment when he says, I've got to tell Han the Force is real. <laughs> At this point, <laughs> he can't doubt anymore.
2: That's yeah. where he finds his will to live again. He's like, i got to tell him about it. So that way when he ends, ends up falling down and hanging off the weather vane, he's like, i got to tell somebody about this.
1: Leia! <laughs> <Lay-a>, Leia! <lay-a." laughs>
0: I just had the most amazing thing happen to me. Well, Todd, you, you had a similar feeling after a recent lucky... It, Lucky break. it
1: really is. Yeah. I had a I had a car accident the other day oh. and I survived. Unscathed and and it was, I mean, it was pretty bad. I rolled a and You just you just wanted to tell everyone. I rolled my car going eighty miles an hour on the freeway and I oh. just walked away with my with my son. And after that I just wanted to tell everybody. I just had the most amazing thing happen to me. I've got to tell you about this. And <laughs> I imagine that's how Luke was feeling when he was sitting on that weather vane. So he's not calling Leia to come come rescue him. I'm going to
0: tell the story. (laughs) (laughs) Or he's even just trying to start the story. And she thinks he's like, oh, he needs me to come get him. But really, he's like, Leia, just listen. (laughs) I've got to tell you about this. You won't believe this. All right. All right. I'm thinking we should talk some about the film as a whole and the story itself. uh, And then we'll focus in on Lando for the end of our discussion. Um, one thing that I want to point out about this film is that the color schemes in this are amazing. And they're kind of used as the example of color design for film quite often. If you ever take a film class, odds are uh, Empire Strikes Back will be mentioned, particularly for the lightsaber fight with uh, Darth Vader and Luke, where you have um, the orange fading to red against the blue fading to purple in the background. And that contrast is just so visually arresting. Um, it looks amazing uh, on, on the screen, and it just creates a very dynamic set piece. Uh, the whole set for that uh, lightsaber fight is just really excellent design from top to bottom. Are, are you going to note uh, Lando, Lando's costuming in regards to this? Uh, I think, that, was this mentioned on Star Wars Minute? Uh, probably. Do you, do you want to explain it? Yeah, bit so seriously? his cape is blue on the outside and orange on the inside, orange being the the dark side, you know, color. Yeah. So, so Vader is represented by reds and oranges, and so Lando is, you know, outwardly displaying, displaying uh. his his support for the good guys, but as you can see from his cape, he is secretly bad guy. But is he a good guy? Like a pie layers? Yeah. <laughs> Underneath the oranges is another layer, blue, blue. underwear.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love I just love when they when they come around there's a there's a scene where Lando and Leia and Chewie are running uh running around a corner and he's got that silk shirt and kind of the baggy silk pants and it looks like at any moment some disco music is just going to start playing <laughs> and Lando is going to Lando is going to like bust a move uh just the way that he runs it's uh it's classic it's so great Oh, man. Good stuff. Um, One of the things that I really like about this film uh, is, I mean, this is... Can can we say this is, like, the original trilogy film of films? Is there any great trilogy of films that come before this?
0: I mean, Shakespeare wrote trilogies of plays before, so it's a long-standing practice (laughs) to do trilogies. Right, but I'm talking about in film. Uh... No, I mean, nothing is like has had the impact of this film as a trilogy.
1: Just this, the structure, this hero's journey structure of like New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, where you have sort of opening and then dark middle and then things come together at the end. That structure, uh, like that, maybe I don't know. It's one of Lucas's great uh, like gifts to the world was to make these three films in this way and to set this darker film in the middle. Um, because it just it works so well, and I know when I tell my students this, they're like, "Wait, what?" And then I mean, it's like every every film. I mean, every there's just so many. This this pattern has been repeated so many times now, uh, but I think this is where we get the, that from.
0: I think yes. this definitely like codified it into pop culture in a way it never had been before.
1: Yeah,
2: and I it's, would absolutely
0: I just, agree with that.
2: I don't think there's it's, anything in. in... In cinema in general and I mean, if you have to go back to Shakespeare to talk about
1: trilogies, <laughs> then you're really you' you're really reaching you know what I mean like well you do have I mean the structure is there. it's not Lucas didn't invent the structure and he knows that he didn't invent the structure but he codified it in a way in popular culture that that stand the the closest like kin to that that I can think of is Lord of the Rings. Uh, where you get the the you have the fellowship and then two towers, everything's looking bad, and then Return of the King, things are looking good again. Um, but that's i mean, that's the only one that I can that come like jumps to mind.
0: And, and really, like the filmmakers for that really had to change the structure of the book to make it fit this Star Wars mold uh, a lot closer.
1: Yeah,
2: and actually, the reality of Lord of the Rings, as well, is that. Because of the fact that it was being done you know, around wartime Britain um, and not long after when the rebuilding, he, his initial intent, Tolkien's, was was to actually have it you know, as one giant book and not have it broken out into The Fellowship and The Two Towers uh-huh. and The Return of the King. It was actually six books within one large volume called Lord of the Rings. So it wasn't even his intention to have it be a trilogy, per se, although it does certainly fall within a pattern that well resembles a trilogy, even though the filmmakers, as you mentioned, you know, had to do some tweaking here and there to make it cinematically relevant.
0: But certainly, like, any filmmakers doing a trilogy from here on (laughs) will often refer to their middle chapter as the Empire Strikes Back chapter, which means... Uh, well, the, often the the first film in a trilogy, what becomes a trilogy, isn't for sure going to be a trilogy. The studios have to wait before they greenlight sequels. So the first one kind of wraps itself up in a lot more. It's a self-contained film uh, more so than uh, the second and third chapters, because often then they greenlight green light the two sequels after. So there's some production reasons why we end up with a different structure happening. But I, I again, I 100% agree with what you're saying, Todd, that so many trilogies follow this pattern because... It works so successfully in Star Wars, and it's so resonant within Star Wars.
1: Yeah, and I don't know that it even—I don't—I don't know that it even matters that it ends up as a trilogy. So I'm thinking of like, um, uh, you've got Captain America, and then Winter Soldier, which is a darker film. You've got uh, Thor, and Civil War, which
0: is even even darker. Right, and <laughs> then, but
1: then it turns into Civil War, which is—I mean—it goes in a different direction. But you've got um Thor, and then the Dark World and you've got Star Trek and then Into Darkness. And it's like uh I mean those are pretty on the nose. Um and you've got uh Batman Begins and then Dark Knight. Um it, and and these don't they don't have to end up as trilogies and they can take the story in kind of any direction that they go they they want. But I th- I think that this the the way that it opens where you have initial film and then take it for a darker turn in the second one. Um I wonder uh, if, I mean, I, I, you, can't, you can't not just assume that they're, that they're ripping off Empire Strikes Back. I mean, this, this pattern that works so well with Empire Strikes Back. And then it makes me wonder if people like Empire Strikes Back because it's a better film or because of where it sits in the trilogy. And I don't know. I don't know if you I guys have that. any thoughts about that.
0: I mean the the knock against anyone who has a complaint about Empire strikes back is that it's not a whole story whereas a new hope is a whole story. Uh but Empire strikes back is a chapter that's a cliffhanger <laughs> leading into the close of the story and return of the Jedi.
1: Yeah. But I mean I I I just I guess what I'm saying is I wonder if there's something about sitting at the at the bottom of the I mean, if you talk about like hero's journey as a clock and you have you know, one to one to three o'clock is opening, and then that three o'clock to nine o'clock would be that's your that's your dark world. That's Empire Strikes Back sits at the bottom, like it's six p.m. A bit. Then I wonder if there's something about sitting at the bottom of that and the tension and the drama that happens when the hero is at the bottom of the cycle before he or she starts to rise. That that makes that draws people to that, regardless of what's going on in the in the story or or whether i mean i don't know i don't know it's just a thought or if this is really just a better film
2: i think it's emotionally deeper for a start and not because it's dark but because instead of having you know a very black and white kind of situation as we do with the original star wars and even talking about the color schemes like you were earlier um you know there's a not a lot of color inside the original Star Wars. I mean, certainly there is in the cantina with all the different aliens, and yeah, you get some color because of the naturalistic environment in which you find the rebels on Yavin 4, so that basically leans toward a more organic sort of uh, uh, picturing of the rebels as opposed to the very sterile and lifeless depiction of the Empire um, it's not, you know, it's a bit of color, but it's not very much, and it's such a richer spectrum in The Empire Strikes Back, and that's reflected in the color, it's reflected in the acting, it's reflected in the situations into which it puts the characters, it deepens the conflicts for Luke, he has to dig deeper into his hero's journey in order to actually evolve on his journey of becoming a Jedi, and he abandons the journey, as, you know, a lot of people do, it's, you know, part of the whole hero's journey. And luckily he survives the abandonment and it's almost strange. It's like, you know, the hero's journey, you're supposed to refuse the call and then you're supposed to go take it and go in the special world. And that's what Luke does with, um, you know, initially telling Ben in star Wars, no, I can't go. There's too much going on. I've got too much responsibility. And then everybody dies. And he says, all right, I want to go. Let's go. But (laughs) it doesn't work that way this time. Like he's instead, he's like, Um, he's inducted into the special world and he's like, no, I got to get out of the special world. Like it's an, it's an absolute reversal. He's like, no, I got to get out of the special world and get back to, you know, what I know. And it was, and he finds out what a bad idea that was and that he should have continued on his hero's journey.
0: Um, I think it's really interesting. I mean, we're referencing the hero's journey so much, which uh, we did in our earlier discussion and we did an entire episode of our podcast about the hero's journey itself. And we use star Wars as a reference point quite a bit. Um, But so key to the cycle of the hero's journey is that moment of the abyss. And when we look at the trilogy as one massive hero's journey, instead of just looking at individual films, the abyss often has, um, dark, wet, you know, uh, death and, and baptismal image uh, imagery as, you know, the heroes at, at their lowest point, and uh, they're going to be reborn coming out of it. But so much of this film is on Dagobah, which right. is... I mean, in, the, in A New Hope, it's the trash compactor scene. Coming out of that, Luke's going to become his own you know leader. He's not going to be just following Obi-Wan. Uh, it's a transformative point for him uh, in the trash compactor, in, in that water. But this film has Luke immersed in water for so much of it. And in just the, this yucky environment. And I think it is uh, another uh, good touchstone to the hero's journey and how well George Lucas was weaving this in to each film, but also, you know, the, the entire universe, uh, you know, the, the Skywalker saga, as, as he saw it, that, um, the you know, the larger storyline was going to follow some of these beats too.
1: Even all three big sets. So you have Hoth and in Hoth who, uh, Luke gets, uh, he gets knocked by the Wampa and then he, um, he gets stuffed inside the Tauntaun, right? Like baptism. And then, and, and then in the back to tank too. And then he's in the tank and then Dagobah is all about descent and and baptism and you know falling into the swamp and then into the water and then down into the cave and then even Cloud City which which seems elevated because it's called Cloud City ends with Luke falling down a giant tube right it's it's about it's all about descent and the abyss this whole film
0: and, and in a lot of instances Luke's mistakes and failures um, yeah you know that's that are sending
1: him to these places Yeah. Uh. All right. Should it's we? A... Oh, go I was ahead, just going to say. It's interesting, Alan, that you say that that you see Luke's turning away from Yoda as rejection of the call. Um, do you see that as much rejection of the call, or would you say maybe it's um, it's like answering a different call, like a um, call call to adventure? Hmm.
2: Yeah. Uh, there's definitely a case to be made for that. I would say because yeah, it is a call to adventure for sure. Um, and he has to decide which is the more important adventure in the moment per se. And clear. I, I would say, I don't know. It's hard to say that he makes the wrong choice because if he makes a different choice and he says, ah, you know what? I'm going to stick around here and finish the training. It's an entirely different movie. (laughs) It is. and, And it serves, it serves no emotional purpose for us. So it ultimately has to be the right decision that he does that. So, um, Yeah, I guess it is ultimately a call to adventure. I think you're right. Um, Just, you know, a different call and being presented with a choice of what path to go down.
1: Yeah, it would be really... I mean, it's interesting to think about what happens if he stays on Dagobah and just trains with Yoda.
0: We got some hints that uh, Vader's plan would be just keep holding Leia and Chewbacca until Luke would try and rescue them.
1: Yeah, he would certainly be stronger. (laughs) <laughs> he, he'd probably be able to handle uh, Vader force-throwing force throwing, uh, garbage at him a little better than he does in yep. this fight. <laughs> he, really, he really, really struggles with that. <laughs> yep.
2: And in the meantime, the Boffin spy network is working on getting the plans to the second Death Star. So if he stays training on Dagobah, and then he's finally done and he says, okay, I'm going to try and track down the Rebel Alliance again and join back up with them, And then it's like, oh, great, they built another Death Star and they know where it is. Oh, well, now I'm a totally trained Jedi, so I can really help (laughs) you out. It was just dumb luck that I blew
1: up the last one. now I know what I'm doing. (laughs) Nice. So uh, so do you want to talk about Lando for a little bit?
0: Yeah, I'd say let's focus on Lando now. Uh, We get two characters that really pop off the screen in this one, two new ones. So you get Yoda and Lando. And Lando is just, to me, he's really interesting to follow like his shifting choices as um you know i think he always has the same motivation which as much as he's played or his reputation is as a scoundrel i think his his motivation really is to try and do the best thing for the most number of people that he can you think so i mean his so i've heard it argued that uh when the uh what are the 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 cloud city pods what are those called The, the dual ships The twin Uh, pod cloud car. Yeah, the twin pod cloud cars. When those are first warning, (laughs) uh, kind of warning the Millennium Falcon off and saying you don't have permission to land, I've heard it argued that that's Lando trying to get Han as far away from as possible from Cloud City. And when Han persists to the point that the Empire could see that he's actually approaching, that's when the cloud cars say, all right, stay on your landing vector and land. Um, So that you could argue that Lando is really doing that not to be a jerk To Han, but to uh, try and do the best thing possible for him. Uh, And then, as he allows um, Han and Leia and Chewbacca to be captured, uh, he says, like, you know, I didn't have a choice. They arrived here before you, and I've got thousands, though. I think, according to Wikipedia, he's got millions of people on Cloud City, though that seems excessive to me, (laughs) that there could be millions of people on Cloud City. Uh, But I think he really is trying to protect... uh, not his financial interest so much as everyone there, because when he finally has to cut tail, the first order he gives is for everyone to evacuate. It's not him slinking off uh, or anything like that. So I think even though there is this squirrely uh, side and he is you know, one of the Star Wars scoundrels, I think his motivations are generally pretty good.
2: What do you think about that, Alan? I would have to agree. I do think he's doing the best he can to do the greatest good for the greatest number. And... I think that's about as as synced as you can possibly get about it. Um, and I think he's kind of like a essentially a frog that's been thrown into a, a pot of cold water and and it just keeps getting <laughs> turned up on him. And he's slowly realizing, you know, this deal gets worse all the time. Like he's you know, trying to do the best that he can in the situation, but he's had encounters with the Empire before for, you know, for a number of years and of course his character shows up on the Star Wars Rebels cartoon series and he's already trying to start building a mining operation at that time in in the time period that's five years and less before the events of the original Star Wars and he knows of the Empire but he doesn't necessarily know of Darth Vader at least that indication isn't given in the TV series yet so I think Darth Vader is kind of a new animal to him. I think that He's used to dealing with the Empire, and he's used to the protocol, and he's used to figuring out how to work the system. And Vader is something altogether different from you know, anything he's encountered. He hasn't dealt with a Sith Lord. He just figures that he's probably just some you know weird enforcer <laughs> for the Empire that's shown up as part of this. I don't think he realizes just quite what he's gotten into.
0: So he's more dealt with the bureaucracy of the empire and is uh, navigating those channels. Uh, but within those, he's kind of like, I know the system. When I do what they ask, I'm going to get the result because that's how you know this government functions. Uh, but then when Darth Vader keeps changing the deal on him, it's really it, he seems genuinely surprised by that.
1: Yeah, he he definitely uh, seems kind of out of his depth when dealing with <laughs> Darth Vader. Darth Vader's just like, uh, what does he say? I've altered the. The agreement. I've altered
2: the deal. Pray
1: I don't alter it any further. <laughs> and Lando's like, man, what is he supposed to do? Yeah. Like, no. oh, okay. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up Rebels. One thing that I, that I thought about as I was watching this film is just how much all of the extra new canon stuff has changed my experience of watching these films. Ah. And... Like uh, so, I'm I'm slowly making my way through Clone Wars right now. I've, I haven't seen any of Rebels, mm-hmm. but I just got to the part in Clone Wars where Boba Fett shows up, young Boba Fett, yeah, and and to see you know big Boba Fett in this film, and t- and to picture behind that mask the little kid, you know, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. trying to like avenge his father's death at the hands of Mace Windu and like all of that stuff. There's none of that in you know, like the child me that's watching this film knows none of that stuff. And so Boba Fett's just, a, you know, just a guy. Uh, but there's so much there's I guess there's just so much more that we bring was a horizon of expectations that we bring to the to these films now that there's so much more material. Um, and Alan, you've consumed way more of it than than I have. Um, but I just I, I was interested this time in noticing how that affected my viewing of the the film. So, does seeing a young Boba Fett and thinking about those
2: things about how he wants to avenge the death of his father and whatnot, does that change how you see Boba Fett in *The Empire Strikes Back*? Does it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Mean of him, or does it lower it, or does it push it sideways?
1: I I think I like these films better having that uh, having that extra something at the table. I, mm-hmm. I really do. It's the same when we talked about um, we talked about Rogue One on this. Uh, I think is a quick cast uh, a few months ago, and I feel like Rogue One makes New Hope a better film. Um, like I just I I I feel like I get more out of it. I enjoy the film more having that backstory, and <laughs> and I know um, I, I don't know. I know that there are people that will disagree with me on that, but I really I'm a total sucker for canon. And if somebody comes along and tells me, "Hey, this is the official story," then I'm like, "Great! I'm totally on board. I don't care who wrote it, uh, as long as it's got the official seal on it." Then yep. I'm down.
2: <laughs> me too. Me too.
1: And it makes—I I just think it makes the whole experience more uh, rich, and and that's positive for me. It's the the net is positive.
0: So I think, uh, and this is an interesting point to to bring it back to Lando, that um, in what is now Star Wars Legends, because they they said a lot of the books and everything that had been written before. Uh, Disney bought Star Wars. That's all legends so that they could just really firmly establish canon because it got a little too sprawling for them. Uh, but even back when they were producing all the books and the ancillary material that became Star Wars Legends, Lando was one of the characters that got picked up most often, uh, yeah. you know, and, and played with. So, what do you think it is about him that makes him, uh, interesting? Uh, that enough that writers will say I want to write entire trilogy of books about that character, and I want to fill in his backstory, and not just his backstory with Han Solo, but his you know entire backstory. Because we don't, we have hints that there's more backstory in Empire Strikes Back, and we still get a few more hints that there's more to him in Return of the Jedi, but we don't really get a whole lot filled in uh, until we get this ancillary material that's dealing with it. I yeah. I have a theory, producer Andrew, jumping in <laughs> uh, that. Part of what makes the idea of his backstory so rich is the complexity they give him in this film with trusting him, but do you trust him, being betrayed by him, and then having to trust him again? So, like, the layers of this person who was willing to betray his friends to a certain degree, (laughs) but not all the way. You know, when the deal got changed, he's suddenly, you know, off. It's like, that's a really human thing. To, you know, say, okay, I've screwed up. Or, I was willing to do this much bad to my friends. But not any more than that. And so now I'm back on their side. It's tip of the scales. Like, these are things that people feel and deal with. And so they can relate to it. And they want to see that complexity pan out in the right way. So that kind of is a justification for their own behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, it's interesting to watch. um, That, you know, back and forth and like okay, but is he good? Is he doing everything for the right reason? Is he doing good things to be greedy also? Mm-hmm. you know, And it's not clear what those motivations are, and it's fun to explore what they might be. Also, they're shifting, so they can be whatever you want. So you can fuel a story with whatever motivations you
1: need from him. It's interesting the way that you talked about color earlier, and i he just is such a colorful character. <laughs> and there's such great... I don't know if exposition is the right word, but there are like all these little crumbs that are left along the way um, that let you know there's way more to this guy, and you you want to know the stories um, when uh, and it starts at the very beginning when Han Solo is saying, you know, I've got history with this guy. We go way back, and it's and it's like, well, Han Solo is really cool, and any of anybody that's a friend of his must be really cool also. And then um, when they first was it when they when they first meet on the on the platform in Cloud well, City? Well, even before
0: then, uh, he says something like, uh, "I'm sure he's not still mad at me." And then Chewbacca growls right. something, and we have no idea what Chewbacca has growled. And Hanja says, "That was a long time ago." Yes, and I'm sure I'm sure he's <laughs> forgotten about that.
1: This is exactly what I'm talking about. These these tiny little nuggets. That's just an invitation for uh, fanfic writers and you know <laughs> legends writers and rebels writers and. To go in and say, and there was just this tiniest hint of a thing it's just an invitation for future expansion, and in a universe that's uh, that's perpetually expanding like the Star Wars universe is, there's just all of these great little hooks that you can grab onto as as an author and create something that ties that ties into this moment this conversation between Han and chewie and Leia or um, anyway I, th- I that's that's part of the reason why i think that that people come back to to lando and i don't think we get that with all of the star wars characters you don't get that with uh with chewbacca for example
0: there's not a mon mothma you know trilogy of books that was written
1: (laughs) right (laughs) right but i don't know if i mean can you imagine if mon moth if if uh if han solo just made one sort of offhand comment about remember that night with when me and mon mothma you know had some drinks and <laughs> and then, and then Chewie growls something, and then he says, "But that was a long time ago. Like you think p- people wouldn't latch onto that and create a trilogy out of it? I mean,
0: it is an excellent use of Chewbacca as um, <laughs> as a character, though. Like that growling something and leaving it entirely to the audience's imagination, but in a way that makes perfect sense because everyone understands Chewbacca in the Star Wars universe. Um, that no one would say, <laughs> What did he? What did he just say?' Uh, it, it just allows. Uh, It's just a really fun way to add mystery uh, to to the storyline.
2: And they do that throughout the Empire Strikes Back. There are all sorts of little things like that. Even back on Hoth when Han says he's taken off and Leia says, I thought you decided to stay. And he says, well, that bounty hunter we ran into on Ord Mandel changed my mind. Like, really? What's that about? (laughs) There's a whole other story that you could tell around stuff like that.
0: And even with Lando, like he he just throws away like, no, I recently acquired Cloud City. It's like, well, what were you doing before? <laughs> like, yeah, that's Rad the question. How did you acquire it? <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Or that the, he used to own the Millennium Falcon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there's so many. There are so many of these little these little hooks. Yeah, what are uh, you about this ship? Film?
2: Your ship, you lost it to me fair and square. Like, really? <laughs> okay,
1: there's another story, right?
2: Yeah, I want to hear that. Or the classic one, which is not in this movie, of course, it's in Return of the Jedi, when Han says, look at you, a general, and he says, someone must have told them about my little maneuver at the Battle of Tanab. Like, <laughs> really? <laughs> you told them about your little maneuver at the Battle of Tanab. Someone, someone
0: must have had a few drinks and started bragging, I don't know who.
2: Someone found Mon Mothma in the bar.
1: <laughs> That's right.
0: Um, I, I think as long as we're saying what like is so interesting, we also have to give huge amounts of credit to Billy Dee Williams. He plays this character with so much charisma. Oh yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> there is him making, him making googly eyes at uh at Princess Leia. That's the best.
2: There's nobody I think in this movie who is so comfortable in his own skin as Lando is. I mean, Han, for all of his cockiness and you know smug scoundrelness is a fish out of water in a sense. Like, he didn't sign up to be part of this rebellion, but now he's part of this rebellion, but he's kind of not part of this rebellion, and he didn't necessarily want to fall in love with a princess, but he's fallen in love with a princess, and he's stuck in this whole thing. Lando is just there going, yeah, I'm living my life, man. This is I'm living the dream. I'm having a great time, you know, and that's the front he has to put on also, but it's not so much of a front because he is living the dream. He's very happy about where he's at.
1: I mean, you, can contrast, Wild
0: City, right? you can <laughs> contrast
1: the way that Lando, that Lando, Lando. I'm going to start calling him Lando.
0: <laughs> Just to keep up with Star Wars pronunciations. <laughs> yeah, All right, so, should... <laughs>
1: so can I digress with you? I've got a thing about Star Wars pronunciations,
2: and I can really settle this very easily once in a while. <laughs> please, Go please for very it. Very, so here's the, the My take on the pronunciation thing is... Um, Characters introduce themselves on occasion, and I think that's the pronunciation you should go with. So, in Star Wars, when Luke and Ben meet up with Han and Chewie, he introduces himself as Han Solo. So, you go with Han, not with Han, which
0: but, I but think wait. is Lando being choked. I gotta say, though, if with this theory, the first time we hear Chewbacca's name said, it is Obi-Wan Kenobi saying Chewbacca. Mm-hmm. But that's so not that
1: introducing himself. Right. right. Okay.
0: So it's so it's it's an Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, mispronunciation or accent.
1: It's right. like when you're taking role on the first day of class, Joe, and you say you know, you come across an interesting name and you say, How do you pronounce your name? And then they tell you, and then you say, Thank you, and then that's that. and, then, and canon. Then you
0: mispronounce it the next three times because <laughs> you panic every time you come to the name. At least for, I do.
1: It's can it's canon. No, so uh, Lando. Uh, you can well, contrast I, the way that... Sorry, I,
0: uh, go Alan, wait, wait, so you were saying that the, the way they introduce themselves, that's the canon of how their name should be pronounced, right?
2: Yes, and so then when Lando introduces himself to Leia, and he says, and who might you be? She says, Leia, not Leah, or anything like that. <laughs> so it's Leia.
1: And he is Lando.
0: Yes. Is that, okay, he, That's what he calls himself. Because I think we do hear a... We hear some a, a different emphasis in the name
1: at some points. So Lando – actually, I was totally joking. I mean, I I know that his name is Lando, but – I know. I just (laughs) – he just set me off. (laughs) Uh, You can contrast the way that Lando just moves through Cloud City and the way that he interacts with people and contrast that to the way that Han moves through the base on Hoth. And he's just, like, he's mad at everyone, and he's yelling at everyone, and he's confused. He's got this confused look on his face, and nobody n- seems to know. He doesn't seem to know what's going on And he's ever. always yelling
0: at someone to help direct him. Deck officer! Deck officer! Yes! <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's the... I think we're, we're onto something there with, uh, with this, this thought that Lando is just supremely comfortable. But at the and same time... God, like, is supremely uncomfortable. <laughs>
0: I mean, Lando is supremely comfortable, but we also see that he's really not. So how much of this is his performance of, I'm in charge, I'm in control, Even as because we do see, like, on his face and in Billy D. Williams' acting, his loss of control as Vader keeps changing the deal on him.
1: Do you think if, the, if you switched uh, Lando and Han... Just like one for the other.
0: Han would have flown off the handle at the first mention of the deal changing and just start yelling and screaming and <laughs> shooting things.
2: I don't know if Han would have even done the deal quite often. <laughs> like, I have trouble thinking of the possibility that Han would have sold out any of his friends to the
1: Empire.
0: But, I mean, so we're saying Lando... Uh, Lando, I almost did it, Todd. To going uh, Lando-
1: it's pronounced <laughs> Uh
0: Lando, um, w- we mentioned that he's doing the greatest good for the greatest number of people. So we're saying, like, Han wouldn't sell out anyone to the Empire, but Lando is trying to protect literally at least thousands, probably tens of thousands of citizens on Cloud City. And again, according to w- Wikipedia, maybe millions uh, right. from, from the Empire in doing this. So... Um if Han Solo were somehow I mean, this is the part where it really starts to strain <laughs> strain the imagination <laughs> to imagine Han Solo as a bureaucrat government official. Um, if he was in that situation and now the Empire said, I need three of your citizens or everyone is going to be whatever the threat is that Darth Vader made, uh be it under Imperial control or, you know, rounded up, whatever it's gonna be, you know, what what's Han's reaction to that versus Lando's where Lando seems to be saying, Alright, uh you you just want to take Han Solo uh, so you can get this other Skywalker guy to come here. Fine. I'm going to allow that to happen. Uh, just so long as everything else is left as is for all my citizens.
1: I think we're, I think we're onto something here. So then, but then think about, uh, Han future Han who is uh, general solo, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, but he throws it all out the window, right? He's totally uncomfortable with that. He tosses it all out the window because for Han Solo, everything is personal. Everything is, it's about intimate. It's about his circle of people and the, the closeness of those people, that's what matters to him. And he could throw the Rebellion out the window. Uh, the reason why he goes back to save Luke in, in, in uh, Episode 4 is not because he believes in the, in the Rebellion, but because he, he's going to save his friend. And that's, that's Han Solo throughout. Like, he, he is all about that intimate circle of people that it's kind of hard to break into. But once you're in, you're in. And he, I, I, I mean, I, I agree. I think he would sacrifice all of Cloud City if it meant saving Leia. Yeah, I think it would be a we don't give in to terrorists kind of a reaction. Yeah, which is a stark contrast to Lando.
0: And so, Lando, I mean, he really does one hundred percent pop off the screen in Empire Strikes Back. But I think it's worth noting that he is really a third act appearance. Uh, so, I mean, just, oh, yeah. if you're following Han, you got Han on Hoth as act one, and then Han in the asteroid field as act two, and now Han, uh, on Cloud City as act three, and that's where, where we meet Lando. But Lando, I mean, producer Andrew kind of ran through it. We, he runs through a lot of changes in this one act of film <laughs> that he's given in this. So when we first meet him, he's kind of like the joking old friend that's gonna give you a hard time, but really your best buds. Uh, and that's gonna cut through. Then you find out, no, he's betrayed you. Right to to the Empire, but he's kind of defending himself as having done it for the greater good. Uh, then what's the next beat for him after that? Would be when Han's getting tortured and he's very uncomfortable out in the hall and saying, <laughs> why, are you, why are you doing this? <laughs> uh, but that's when he's promised that at least Chewbacca and Leia will be allowed to stay on Cloud City but never leave Cloud City, right? Do I have that order right? I think you're right. And mm-hmm. then it's uh, after they freeze Han... And he's still marching around kind of uncomfortably in the background, but trying to make sure Han's okay. Uh, and he's the one that double-checks to make sure Han survived and everything. That's when he finds out that uh, Leia and Chewbacca are going to be taken to Vader's ship. And that's when he says, okay, this is, that's the straw, right? That's when he finally says, nope, we're out. <laughs> uh, but it's again, it's not just him personally that's out. Like He makes the massive announcement to everyone to get out of Cloud City, which probably makes his own escape harder like if they were trying to just escape lando and leia and chewbacca uh doing it as silently as possible and allowing the empire to think everything is uh you know situation normal <laughs> um for as long as possible would be their best technique but he gets on the loudspeaker and announces to the empire i'm escaping i've yeah and i'm probably taking you know if anyone's thinking about this i've got leia and chewbacca with me
2: <laughs> so then you so how, how much you- the point of why Leia and Chewie suddenly decide to trust Lando. And I feel like part of that, part of the reason for that is because he pulls a stunt like that, that he makes a point of trying to get everybody to evacuate. And obviously there's no scene in Empire where you see Leia's face and she goes, Hmm, you know, like there's no, like, he's not such a bad guy. He actually just tried to get everybody to evacuate. You don't get that reaction shot of it. But I imagine that has to figure in. And, I imagine that Leia is probably well-acquainted with scoundrels, and I mean (laughs) that in a nice way. Um, You know, I... Like, the Rebellion, when you think about Rogue One and and Andor's speech before they all go off to Scarif and he said, you know, we've all done things, we're smugglers and assassins and this, that, and the other. That's what the the Rebellion is made up of. You know, people who have done some, you know, really terrible things in the name of a really good idea, some more terrible than others, and, you know, then you get to Saw Gerreras and whatnot. But um, I have a feeling that Leia, who has been in the Rebellion for a number of years and she shows up in Star Wars Rebels... She knows that there are scoundrels that are good guys, and I think she is able to make the connection. I think she is and sophisticated enough a rebel where she can see what is really going on with Lando and, and understand the situation and that he can be on their side and what, you know, and what must have really happened.
1: How much agency do you think Lando has in this film? I mean, is he, a, is he an actor or is he a reactor?
0: I, I mean the the moment where he I think he transitions into an actor that's taking fate into his own hands is when he taps his smartwatch to Lobot and says, "Get the guards all here to uh, separate me from these stormtroopers, and I'm going to announce to the entire city to evacuate." I think up to that point, we're seeing him reacting to the presence of Darth Vader and the Imperials.
1: I mean, at that point, I mean, with you said he's he's a really a third act. Player in this film, it's like that's the third act of the third act, or yeah. or even less. <laughs> I mean, there's like five minutes left in the film at that point, or ten, or something. There's just there's so little film left for so for, for most of the time that he's in this film, he's just getting manhandled by Darth Vader.
2: <laughs> yeah, and they do manage to give him a story arc, even despite that limited screen time. Yeah,
1: that's it's. Yeah. Pretty great. And, and again,
0: uh, credit to the writers and to Billy Dee for making the story arc that he's given in that one act work, and that you follow his shifting motivations and choices.
1: That's pretty great filmmaking to have a character who sh- who's on screen. I don't know. I mean, what percentage of this film is Lando? Is Lando on 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 screen? I mean,
0: less than a quarter, right? Don't you think, Alan?
1: Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, far, and- I would say
0: far less than a quarter.
1: I mean, certainly from,
2: you know, if, if you measured it from the moment he appears on screen to the moment the movie ends, then, you know, it's about maybe a quarter. But if you actually just, you know, added up his screen
1: time itself, yeah, if it's 10%, I'd be surprised. And to to come out of this film with a character with that much uh, cachet, I mean, <laughs> the, that's that's pretty remarkable. That's a pretty powerful <laughs> piece of writing to create somebody that, has, uh, that that sparks the imagination like he does. And- um, like I said,
0: there's been entire novels written about him. Marvel recently did a comic book series, mini-series? series just, uh, just on him, and I think there were probably some other comics that Dark Horse had done in, in earlier years. And we know he is going to be one of the key players in the upcoming Han Solo film set before uh, A New Hope. He's being played by Donald Glover. And the fact that they have uh, Donald Glover playing him it makes me think: If this one works, I would be shocked to see that somewhere down the pipeline that we're going to get a Lando Calrissian film.
1: Yeah, and then to think about—I mean, while we're while we're, t- we're talking about characters who have almost no screen time and yet have have lived on in imagination and and had long careers—think about Boba Fett. <laughs> you know, uh. like if if Lando gets ten percent, Boba Fett gets like 1% of this film. And yet everybody knows who Boba Fett is. That I think is one of the biggest travesties, quite honestly. (laughs) (laughs) It
2: it
0: does speak to the strength of design though.
2: Yeah. Boba Fett is a massive case of style without substance. (laughs) And I feel like Lando is exactly not that he is style and substance,
0: both. Yeah, we've definitely had I think a, a pretty good discussion about Lando from like we said a quarter of this film screen time and stuff that we're pulling just from uh, the performance that we get from Billy D. Williams in this in the final act of this film. We could not do that for Boba Fett in this film at no. all. No,
2: um, and one thing too that's kind of interesting about about Lando and when you you know look at him in in context with Han and. I'm trying to assemble this in my head as it comes out, but they're kind of an interesting mirror of each other. I mean, you've got Han, who is a scoundrel who is doing good, uh, you know, who is kind of left behind his scoundrel ways and is, you know, now kind of on the up and up. Um, You've got him coming into this, and then you've got Lando on the other side of it, who is, you know, by all intents and purposes, already on the up and up, but... In fact, he's actually working with the Empire, so he is you know relapsed in a way into his scoundrel ways um, and ultimately, he has to come back from that and become and get to the good guy' side of things again
1: It's a different step for each of them to get into the rebellion
0: yeah, and while we're talking about the comparisons of them and Han, I just have to mention that it, how odd it is to see Lando wearing what looks like Han's costume in the yes. last shot. I did not even notice that. It's Just like whoever is driving the Millennium Falcon, or or because we know that the Millennium Falcon used to be Lando's, was that Lando's outfit that Han took over when he took <laughs> the Millennium Falcon, yeah. and now Lando's like, I'm taking it back. <laughs> I'm going to rescue he you. He stole Han, my look, but I'm taking my wardrobe back.
2: <laughs> I don't know. Lando likes his capes, so I I don't know. Unless he's got a cape stash somewhere in in the. Uh, <laughs> You know, in the hole or something like that. But, yeah, that's a great point. If that was what Lando used to wear and Han took it from him. That's funny. That would be hysterical. But, I mean, I'm assuming that in the rush to get off of Cloud City, Lando didn't say, hey, let me stop by my pad and grab a few things.
0: Yes, just like Princess Leia had to leave. That one gets mentioned specifically that she had to leave her outfits on Hoth, I think is a, is a line C-3PO says uh, about, <laughs> about Princess Leia, but uh, we just assume the same for Lando. That I, you know his wardrobe is normally at least as big as Princess Leia's, right? I think yeah. we're all on board in that, <laughs> <laughs> in that assumption. It has to
1: be, right? <laughs> so I've got a question for you, Alan, as we're, know, we're getting close to wrapping up, but um, uh, about Boba Fett. So you're not a big Boba Fett fan? No, I am not. And 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 the way that they've expanded his character in in the other parts of this Star Wars universe, this canon, new canon. Uh how do you feel about that? Uh let's put it this way. I feel
2: like his character is better fleshed out. I don't have any problems with um with the way that they've done it. In fact, ultimately it makes me feel more justified in feeling the way I do about the character. <laughs> I mean, he looks wicked cool for sure. And he certainly seems imposing, but I've always just thought about it in terms of, well, what does he really do? Like he ultimately has a bit of detective work and that's how he manages to track, you know, them to, to Bespin and set up that whole thing. So, all right, good bit of detective work. And Luke hands him his bacon on Tatooine pretty easily. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's is, it,
0: like, is it actually a blind Han Solo hands him his Yeah, he, he, yeah. Like, <laughs> he jabs something into the jetpack behind he him.
1: Around, he turns around and knocks his jetpack with a with a pipe or something. Yeah,
2: with um, one of the sticks or whatever that the guards have. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, gets, um, he shoots a cable at Luke, which Luke just, you know, slices through with his lightsaber. There's a laser blast from the sail barge that knocks him silly. And, you know, he's dazed and standing around. And then when he's finally, like, standing up and awake, he's going to try and shoot Luke over on that other skiff. And that's when Han, blind Han, swings around, whack, and he just bounces off the sail barge and gone. Bleah! And that's it. I mean, that does not speak well of the most feared bounty hunter in the world.
0: <laughs> in the galaxy, not just the world. The
2: galaxy, excuse me, yeah. And so have... um. Have you guys read the uh, any of the new novels, the Aftermath trilogy specifically?
0: I have not read the newest of. Uh, I've read a lot of what is now Legends, but I have not been able to keep up with the new stuff they're releasing. Other I than when I hear your way. summaries on Star Wars Seven by Seven,
1: I'm part way through the. I think the very first is it Aftermath. The very first novel that they did. Um, it is
2: not actually. I think a new dawn came out before that, and then. Um, Tarkin came out, uh Heir to the Jedi came out, Lords of the Sith came out, um those all came out two thousand fourteen and early two thousand fifteen, and then aftermath came out on that Force Friday on September of two thousand
1: fifteen, along Man, with you Lost know your Stars stuff, down. my friend. Was that? You know your stuff. Uh it's all it's like there. he talks about it every day. <laughs> I know. Sometimes <laughs> it's like Borgullet's been in there and I just have to try and reassemble it.
2: It's aftermath.
1: I I'm listening. I'm slowly making my way through aftermath on, uh, audible. Well, there's a Boba Fett
2: reference in there and I won't ruin it for you. Okay. Then, but, um, <laughs> let's put it this way. It only, it only serves to, um, continue to reinforce my opinion and I'll just leave it at that.
0: <laughs> uh, as we're wrapping up, do you guys have any final thoughts on Lando Calrissian?
2: I will say that I, um, got to meet him at granite con, which is the granite state comic con here in New Hampshire. And, uh, it was a wonderful, a wonderful moment. They were rushing people in and out, I, so we had a photo op for it, and the photo's up on the wall here in the studio. Um, mm-hmm. He does not shake hands; he gives you fist bumps, presumably because he's afraid of germ transmission. <laughs> it's and, very common um, at <laughs> the conventions. Bizarrely, I ended up in the next bathroom stall next to him <laughs> during one of his breaks, so I've had the unique opportunity to hear Lando Calrazine urinate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not, not many could say that.
1: That's amazing.
0: Uh, yeah. I was he, uh, he. What a claim came to, to me Salt Lake City <laughs> Comic Con one time when I wasn't able to go, but a family member got an autograph. I picked it, it, it up was you, for you, it was producer Andrew. It was uh, tough to pick the uh, the right picture of Lando. There were a lot of really good pictures of Lando to choose yeah. from. Yeah, I have a signed picture of Lando from him. Uh, great character uh, does a lot with so little screen time, but it, to me, it's not surprising that he uh, was one that so many people, as we've said, picked up. Uh, like I said, I want to play with that toy in the Star Wars universe and wrote additional stories about that character.
1: I have never met Lando, and I don't have anything signed by him. But, but <laughs> I think he, I think he's great in this film, and uh, like Joe, I, it's no surprise that he gets picked up in so many different ways uh, in the in the Star Wars. Now, canon and previous what, legends, mm-hmm. um, and this film, I it, man, it's it's really good. <laughs> it's really, mm-hmm. It deserves every every one of its ninety four percent on Rotten Tomatoes and more. <laughs> it's a really it's a really well made film, um, and and I I I can see why people put this really high on their list of uh, favorite Star Wars films. I still think I enjoy Return of the Jedi a little bit more probably just because of where it was for me when I was a kid. But man, this is a good film.
0: All right. Uh, Alan, when we have first-time guests on the Protagonist podcast, we like to ask uh, a question, just because we we, we talk about great characters and great stories. And the question is, if you could have a dinner party with any three to five fictional characters where you would just want to sit back and enjoy the interactions and hear the conversation that would happen, uh, what characters would you want to invite?
2: All right, so I was giving this a little thought, and ultimately where I fell was that I wanted to hear people talking about reality and the nature thereof and altering it and trying to understand it. And so the people I came up with were Morpheus from The Matrix, (laughs) Dom Cobb, which is um, Leonardo DiCaprio's character from Inception. Inception, yes. And um, Tilda Swinton's the Ancient One from the Doctor Strange movie.
0: Oh, this and is
2: good. although this person doesn't appear on screen, to my knowledge, I know this character must exist somewhere. Um, whoever is the CEO of the company CRS from David Fincher's movie The Game.
0: Oh, yes. oh, that is a
2: crazy movie. <laughs> that I think is one of his
0: underappreciated masterpieces. Wow. That would be quite the dinner party. I think it would come <laughs> out maybe with more questions than answers, uh, but definitely a lot to think about.
2: I think my mind would be absolutely blown to try and hear like that kind of conversation and keep up with it. I mean, if I'm going to aspire to being in a, a room where fictional characters could be going at it like that, I mean, that's, that's about as, as high as I could aspire for it. That's pretty great.
0: That is good grouping. All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us, Alan, and listeners. Uh, Please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. If you're a new listener, just a note about our back catalog. We switched up our format a bit at episode 13, so our first dozen episodes are a bit meandering in terms of discussion and length. We're finding our focus. Uh, But if you liked this discussion, you might want to go back and listen to episode number 19 when we talked about Princess Leia and Star Wars A New Hope with special guest Alex Robinson from... Uh, the Star Wars Minute, or you might want to check out episode number 22 when we break down the hero's journey in depth. Links to things we've talked about in this episode are at ProtagonistPodcast.com, and that's where you can also find a list of all of our old shows. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss, or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at ProtagonistPodcast.com. And we're also on Twitter. You can follow at ProtagonistPod, at Todd K. Mac, at Jay Dorowski, and our producer Andrew is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And Alan, what kind of social media do you have for Star Wars 7 by 7
2: Oh, goodness. So we're on Facebook. And Instagram and Pinterest and Twitter. I haven't been doing a lot with Pinterest recently, so something i got to get back to. But um, Facebook.com slash SW7X7. Same for Instagram, SW7X7. On Twitter, it's SW7X7Podcast, and the website is SW7X7.com. We are available in all the major podcasting outlets, iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, iHeartRadio, in all those places, and you can just look for Star Wars Seven X seven because that's how it's spelled out, and you should be able to find us rather readily
0: and again, I just recommend that if you want a quick dose of some Star Wars News every day, it is a wonderful podcast to listen to Thank uh, you, you can follow. Oh, yeah, of course. You can follow our Facebook fan page at facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. That's where we have really good conversations with our listeners. We'd love for you guys to stop by. If you'd like to support the show financially, there's a few different ways you could do that. You could buy a topic for us to discuss at patreon.com slash protagonist, and all supporters on Patreon receive access to our special quick cast episodes. You can also go to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon to make all of your Amazon purchases. Just a reminder, it looks like regular Amazon and costs you nothing more, but we get a small cut kickback when you use that link. And finally, don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of Audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thank you again for listening and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long.
2: So long. So long.
1: I'm going to apologize right now. I've got kind of a scratchy throat. I'm still getting over a Thing, so I, I'm
2: I've telling me, I'm telling myself that I'm it.
1: getting over it, <laughs> but I don't know if that's really true.